welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal episode 80. This is the final thing we're doing on like summaries of 2020. I'm once again joined by Rob for our uh, top 10 albums, our combined top 10 albums of the year. Um, we're recording this straight after the last segment, but uh, I think it will end up, this will be out two weeks later. But yeah, so this every year we do a combined list where we just forcibly mash our two top 15 lists together. This year's been, I think, because me and Rob haven't been hanging out due to the pandemic, our lists have diverged more than usual, and um, uh, I will be having a sulk through this one because I've got totally screwed of my my number my number one and two are renegated way down the list. Rob's one and two are still one and two. <laughs> yeah, it's been a really weird one just because, like, you know, not being down the pub, you don't just chat every like few weeks or so or weeks so like you know there's loads of albums that have just passed me by and then to be fair phil put in two things that have been released like the week before we put our lists in which uh you know i hadn't had time to listen to and have only started listening to in the first few weeks so it's been a bit of a weird list this year so if it feels a little off you know that's part of why um but hopefully you know we're representing stuff that's really interesting so don't maybe give as much weight as to what is what number but i think there's been there's a great set of albums here but whether something's third or fourth or fifth or sixth take that of a bit of salt <laughs> yeah also i mean these lists are always in essence totally ridiculous like yeah the idea of actually compiling a top 15 during the the final days of of the given year it's a stupid idea but it, it's a bit of fun yeah um yeah so talking of like not lining up the f- and number 10 we have hong kong's karma cipher with their second album introspection which is very much a rob pick i've given this album a few listens but um yeah do you want to give us a rundown on karma cipher yeah, so Introspectrum is Karma Cypher's second full-length album. They released their first album in 2016, followed by an EP in 2017, and then a full sort of three-year gap until Introspectrum. Um, I've seen people describe this as sort of Hong Kong's answer to Ulcerate, and I think that's both fair and unfair in the sense that they do have that dissonant and bleak death metal where they create a sense of foreboding but also can create this maelstrom of chaos with incredible drum work underlying all of it and what at first appears to be deceptively simple guitars and bass which actually are creating this atmosphere around the whole thing they're also a a trio um, so similar to Ulcerate so in that sense it's fair but I also think it's a little bit unfair to compare everything that isn't from you know a western country to oh this is just their version version of a western thing and i think karma cypher have enough to make it their own so on this album it's um terry hui on guitars seth chan on vocals and bass and kevin paradis on drums uh marking a departure from wilfred ho who has played on the albums recently um this album's drum sound is really really interesting it's super super dry very like primitive and clean like almost sort of the toms sound like they could be small bass drums like there's not much reverb going on in a lot of this it puts me in the mind of like a sort of early dave lombardo kind of sound in parts of it like but it's really interesting and then 
it builds the drum work is phenomenal like it's all over the place there's really powerful blasts there's slow sections there's fills that just move all around the kit very much in the vein of someone like Jamie Sintmarat from Ulcerate but this album also has lots of quiet moments which to me don't feel like Ulcerate at all there's these soft and creepy guitars so halfway through my spectrum or in involuntary involuntarily conveyed um there's these much softer moments which give this creepy and foreboding atmosphere which i think really pairs nicely with the sonic chaos that they create in other parts and the really dry sounding drums add a really like primal feel to the entire album um and it's got these super low gutturals that in a similar sort of way to ulcerate like sit over the top of things and don't really add a huge amount in terms of the dynamics but add as this sort of rhythmic punch that keeps the rest of the sort of chaos underneath going um yeah i thought this was really interesting take on that chaotic and dissonant death metal um what did you think of this phil so i think so this is an album i think i bought relatively early on and the problem is, it is that comparison you made, like, the obvious comparison everyone's making about this band is they are a bit like Ulcerate. And I think, for me, this album got somewhat overshadowed by Ulcerate. But they, they certainly do have their own sound. They, they, are not, they are not doing the same thing. There is just a similarity in approach and atmosphere. It has a lot of that kind of, the drum work being the first thing you notice because the guitars are a kind of imperceptible, like, just horror escape <laughs> like just lots of distortion and weird chords and i really like that sound and i i'm amazed to hear another band who can pull it off to that level and uh, yeah they, they certainly have their own thing going on as well like there is some subtle differences in delivery but again i, I haven't spent long enough with this album like yeah, yeah. I, that's a failure on my listening this year I think it's one of those things that ultimately it's an incredibly subtle distinction. If you were to show someone who, like, you know, maybe just listened to a little bit of death metal, these two albums, they'd be like, I have no idea what either of these albums are doing and I don't like it. Um, (laughs) But for me, like, there's little bits in this. Like, there's these weird sort of like twirling sounding leads on Reventrant, which adds these like weird extra textures textures to it, which feels to me quite distinct from a band like Ulcerate. There's also, um, to me, the whole album feels a bit more riff oriented than contemporaries in bands like Gorguts or Ulcerate, particularly with the more recent Ulcerate album. Um, there's these like big open chords in it as well in parts in these slower sections which feel like really quite doomy and melancholic the album leaves a lot of space around some of these parts some of those bits are significantly further into the album so it's one of those things where if you listen to the particularly the first two tracks they're much more like in your face and chaotic and it saves some of these weirder bits for later on in um i find that the album gets like really quite weirdly beautiful in places uh particularly with these like slower sections um and in that sense like almost the the front of the album is that bit more predictable and then the rest of the album gets weirder as it goes on which i really like because it's meant that as i've listened to it over the year like there's been more and more that's jumped out at me from it and i really feel that if you delve into it it does have something really unique uh including that as parts where the drums have a really like syncopated jazzy feel to parts of it which is not something you'd find in other sort of contemporaries um and yeah there's there's just it doesn't hesitate to slow down and change itself to create something different um 
and I really liked how they took their own unique spin on the dissonant chaos. That moves on to number nine, and we have a band me and Roll have spoken about at length on this one. This is Oceans of Slumber, the Texas-based kind of progressive death metal band with their um, self-titled fourth album, Oceans of Slumber. Um, this one was... So, I like, as you'll probably know, I really love their second album, Winter, the first album with Cami and the band. The follow-up to that, The, the Banished Hearts, um, was good but it didn't stick with me to anywhere near the same extent. And between those two albums, uh, there has been a massive lineup change with only Cammy Gilbert, the vocalist, and Dobber Beverly, the drummer slash pianist for the band, um, remaining. So this album was one that I was obviously going into with a lot of worries because all the backing screen vocals have gone, all that amazing guitar and bass work has been replaced. So what were they going to do? And they didn't let me down on this one. I, I think it's one of the strongest things they've put... It's definitely better than the last album. It has some real soaring moments. The the, the opening two tracks particularly, I, I thought, were utterly incredible. And this was actually your... Basically, you write up on your list, wasn't it, Rob? 
Yeah, so for me, yeah, I think very, very similar. Um, Banished Heart had some fantastic bits, some great, like, standout moments, but what this album does is it, it, it takes a much heavier and more, like, death metal approach than anything Oceans of Slumber have done before, but it brings with it the emotional power that some of the songs on the Banished Heart have and melds these together in a really satisfying way. It's not quite as broad, maybe, as Winter was in terms of the sheer scope of the different like genres and emotions that it was taking. But this feels like a really unique blend here of this super emotional, blues-driven and powerful like music from the Banished Heart with the death metal and other metal influences that they brought to it. Um, so from what I can... From what I've read from interviews and things, it looks like um, Dobber was the main brain behind the writing of most of the album. And most of the album was already written by the time the new musicians came in. Um, so while, you know, it's it feels like a massive change and you look at some of the backgrounds of the musicians involved who come from a more death metal sort of um, or heavier extreme metal standpoint... They definitely put their own spin on it from the interviews, but a lot of the material was already there. So it feels like quite a natural evolution of bringing together a lot of those styles that Oceans of Slumber have played around with before and forging this thing which feels very, very unique, but more cohesive than The Banished Heart was. I think as well you bring up an interesting thing there of like just how important Dobber is to this band because he's a man who's always going to be most famous in metal for being the absolute blasting powerhouse behind insect warfare to think that he's this multi-instrumentalist who can play this incredible kind of like bluesy guitar he he's a solid pianist as well um and an incredibly subtle drummer when he needs to be with like his drumming style for oceans of slumber is completely different and the fact this album is so much more musically his obviously cammy takes the lead when it comes to the lyrics and the vocal performances but the two of them as a creative force are quite amazing. And yeah, this album just felt that bit more focused than the last one. There was a bit less like, I don't want to say filler because that's kind of unfair, but just more more time spent on the absolutely like kind of massive parts of it. A song that actually I think really highlights the thing you were talking about, about other musicians bringing their influences on, is the first single... Um, the Favolum's creation yeah where things get really heavy like the heaviest this band's ever been yeah like the 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 tone of the guitar was sort of thinking this does not sound like Ocean to Slumber and starts off with just full on like proper guttural death metal vocals not the sort of like you know shrieks and some of the like harsher vocals that Ocean to Slumber had before but actual guttural death metal vocals so it was really interesting to hear that and the start of the song is like a bit of the main riff and the vocals played backwards which is really confusing when you first listen to it and then it breaks into this like death metal riff which like and the vocals contrast super well with Cammy's cleans like they've managed to meld those things together really really well but yeah this is so much heavier than anything or traditionally heavier than anything they've put out previously. I will say uh, as a whole I don't think it's as good as Winter it loses its way a bit around like track six or seven like some of those after that there's a really good guest like clean vocal performance where like they have a sort of trade-off between him and cammy which is amazing but the couple of tracks after that lose my interest a little it's just the problem of like this band always go for really long albums and i don't know if that's necessarily a great idea 
Yeah, so I think that the one thing that it lacks is that massive closer that Winter had with this road, because this road is still probably my favourite Oceans of Slumber song. It's just, it's such an amazing build. It's so powerful. And I think, while I don't think any of the songs on this album are bad, possibly for me, the only one that comes close to this road is uh, Pray for Fire, particularly the ending, where it breaks out into these blast beats. And you're like, the ending of the album doesn't have quite that push. Um, well, uh, pay for fire, pray for fire is like track two, and uh, yeah. that's my problem. Is track one and two are the absolute highlights. So they're, they're both these quite long, expansive tracks. And the first twenty minutes of the album has all my favorite bits, barring maybe a uh, fabulous creation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I think that you saw slightly picked up on is um, I feel that this is particularly for Oceans of Slumber, Dobber's best drum performance. Um, I think one of the things that, and you can see it in previous songs they've done, is he is an incredibly talented drummer and there's some level of restraint that needs to go into this style of music versus something like Insect Warfare. And I remember, you know, they did an amazing cover of um, Candlemass's Solitude. But the thing that broke it a little bit for me was he kept putting in these really complex, like extreme metal fills and it just didn't sit right. In this, he's done an amazing job of pulling back. Like, there's still a lot of technical drum work in this. Like, as I said, like, the blast beats at the end of Pray for Fire is incredible. But he pulls back and gives loads of space to everything else that is happening. And I think that adds to this album so, so much. And it's hard to do when, you know, you are such a phenomenal drummer. You have so much to play around with. To just sit back and not do much can be really, really hard. But I think it adds to the album a lot. Yeah, his his performance is is like really spectacular. And as he, yeah, as you say, he he's never being overly showy. Whereas he's a drummer who totally can. Like he is one of my favorites, like favorite modern metal drummers. Like the the complexity and weirdness of some of his fills is wonderful. But yeah, this performance is that bit more restrained in the right moments. And then, like, totally letting loose at other places. Something else is worth mentioning is, I think it's a really good album cover. Even though it's a, a little yeah. bit more kind of, like, um, Photoshop filtery than I'd, I'd ideally like. Despite that, I think it's an amazing image. This, like, great, like, hooded-type figure into this, like, amazing, like, mountainscape. And actually, like the 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 back covers a really cool image as well. It's a, it's another one of those great like they've they've filled the booklet with decent artwork, which I, I always like that touch. Yeah, the the album cover, the sort of the colours of it are so striking. These sort of like bluey purples and reds and like dripping oranges. It's really really cool. Most of the recording and production work was done by Dover himself, but it was then mixed and mastered by uh, Dan Swano. And one of the like more recent Dan Swano like recording jobs I've really enjoyed, or sorry, mixing jobs. The number of different elements that they balance here is incredible. There's so much stuff going on between completely different vocal styles, so many different melodies coming from so many places, um, including like really nice stuff on the drums as well. Because Dobber, you know, obviously has been behind the whole thing. He's really built the drum writing into the format of the songs. I really like how there's a lot of nice acoustic led stuff 
here, like the beginning of Pray for Fire sounds like it's like Opeth's Harvest or something like that. Um, and then other songs like I think Return to the Earth Below feels like it's a straight up blues song, which like complements Cammy's voice perfectly. So it's still got a lot of variation, um, although not nearly as much as something like Winter. But um, yeah, it's so cool to see them be this heavy. Should we move on to number eight then? Um, this is this is one truly my pick. Um, this is Esoc Trillium with their fifth album, Eternity of Sheog. So, um, if you heard me on Into the Combine's hundredth episode, you've probably already heard me talk at length about why I think this band's incredible. Actually, we covered them quite quite a bit of length in our Void Voidhanger uh, episode as well. This is a one man project from France. Um, no official start date, but since 2017, they have put out five albums and an EP of this incredibly um, complex, weird black metal. Uh, Astagul, the main guy behind it, I believe he's a very, very young guy. Um, and he's credited on this album with guitar, bass, drums, violin, synthesizers, piano and vocals, um, as well as doing, I think, most of the recording work. And he he's a multi-instrumentalist genius. Like, his albums are all completely different to each other. Their fourth album, Telluric Ashes, was this incredibly intense, like really brutal and extreme album. And Eternity of Sheog has all these elements of of melody. Like he's gone really melodic in certain places on this. It's um, 
yeah, it's, it's really spectacular the way he's changed up the, the sound. Between the two albums, according to one interview, I think he taught himself violin in about six months to to add that <laughs> texture to it, just adding to this guy's like multi-instrumentalist prowess. Um, yeah, so you, you hadn't checked this one out um, like long before us making the notes for this. How did you get on with your first listen, Rob? No, I, I love this. And it's such a contrast to the last album, which I did listen to quite a lot, Tellurimric Ashes, which to me felt like, what if the Monolith Death Cult did black metal? Like, that intensity and brutality to it. This one, it has, like, thunderous black metal parts. Like, the start of the colour of death. Like, it's huge, it's got blast beats, it's aggressive. But then it has bits of it, and, like, it's got these big riffs, and it's got these melodic sections, which could, like, fit into more melodic black metal or even at some points like there's melodic riffs that feel like this could have been snatched out of a mellow death album um and yet also has like these um, piano and these violins these massive orchestral elements but then they'll like drop away into this like eerie void it's it balances creepy catchy and heavy in a really amazing way the first track proper um exile from sanity has these like starts off kind of in the vein of the previous album with these quite sort of chaotic, complex black metal riffing, but then suddenly it's super melodic with elements of acoustic guitar, really melodic hooks, and then we get sort of the violin coming later. Like, that that song was the one that really sold me straight away. There's a, a melodic moment in it, which just, the second I heard that, I was like, this is like the coolest black metal thing I've heard this year. But it's all all behind it we have Astrogal's very weird kind of like quite complex growl like his growl is it's so strange and layered like this is quite deep but such a weird noise yeah it it can feel like many different things given whatever musical context it's in like there's parts where it feels to me a bit like you know the reverb drenched vocals of summoning and then there's other parts where it feels like a deaf black metal kind of growl it like it morphs and changes and i don't know how much of that is just it sounds different when put in a different context and how much of that is just him being able to subtly vary it to give that different feel um, but coming back to the violins as well, there's some absolutely amazing violin work in this. Um, in the third passage, The Undying Citadel, the violins are used alongside these tremolo-picking guitars in a way that is so intense it's hard to deal with. Like, it just ratchets up the intensity of the whole thing, which is such a cool technique to see used. I've never heard violins used like that in metal before. That was really cool. Yeah, that, that kind of when he goes into those really far, like, that really quick, like, bow work, you're like, oh, that sounds amazing. But then in the, yeah. the following track, the... Um, the Undying Citadel, there's, like, he goes into this real, like, horror movie soundscape stuff where he does the the whole thing of, like, plucking the violin strings um, by themselves to make these, like, horrendously creepy twanging noises. And, and, like, yeah, like, after... So we've had, in the space of, like, four tracks, like, supremely melodic, then quite kind of brutal and heavy, and then into total, like, soundscape stuff. And... And it all flows very neatly. It's not a particularly long album. It's just, it's just got so many ideas packed into it that transition wonderfully into each other. Yeah, it feels so much bigger than it is. Like, there's so many parts, but they meld together so nicely. Um, another thing about it that I really like is it's um, the drums are really nicely uh, done in that 
the snare and the toms have a huge amount of reverb to them, like sounding like an 80s doom sort of thing, almost. But the kick is really tight. Like, the kick keeps things down, like, really, really well, particularly when it gets faster in some of the more extreme sections. And yet you get some of that majesty and massiveness from the snare and the toms. And I think that's a really interesting way of doing it, because normally when you make some of the drums big, you make all of them big. But it's varied here, which works really well. There is so, so much creativity on display here. Uh, the lyric writing is really interesting. Um, a lot of it's in French, so those sections I don't quite understand. It's a it's a concept album with kind of um, a lot of themes of like a character's like journey into the afterlife and the horror therein. The, the note on the bottom of the album is uh, a monotony of a putrid life in the eternal nothingness. And that seems to be a recurring theme of his work. He's very inspired by that kind of um, circle of Lovecraftian authors. I was going to write down the name of the guy he always references, but once again, I've forgotten. There's another author who was like parallel to Lovecraft that, um, that he his work heavily references. On top of that really great it's i'd void hanger release so again really great album cover the the picture is this artist hasn't done much actually he did the previous album the telluric ashes one which i i love that cover of the giant weird blue figure but this particular piece uh dracula of mars is an incredibly striking cover with the like the bright orange background to this weird like very hard to describe alien monstrosity is yeah it's amazing really and and once again the packaging's absolutely beautiful like with ivoid hanger stuff it's so worth picking up like the physical releases but yeah for this one i think i was just astounded that one guy could pull this off like that degree of vision and technical ability and the fact he's doing this like just one after another i spoke on the ep's episode about putting out a self-released EP later in the year because apparently he's bored and already got more more music <laughs> and that's like a massive genre change again. Like, I think this guy really is um, one of the greats of like modern black metal writing. We're going to get some, some more of them soon, actually. But yeah, this Ivoidhanger once again really championing the the amazing one-man like su- Supreme Vision home project. Yeah, and to put something together in such short order that's so high quality, not that just brings interesting ideas together, but bring them together, merges them, and seems to like almost perfect it straight away. And you're like, how did you do that? How did you even come up with the idea, let alone get it so good on your like first attempt?
All right, let's move on to number seven then. This is uh, another one of Rob's uh, picks. This was like right near the top of your list, actually. This is Emma Ruth Rundle and Thou with May Our Chambers Be Full, released on Sacred Bone Records, I think about halfway through the year. Yeah, so this is a collaboration between um, Kentucky folk rock singer Emma Ruth Rundle and Thou, who are like a nasty sludge metal band. They um, had been brought together, I think... It was at Roadburn Festival in 2019 where they did um, a bunch of Misfits covers together and they'd sort of mutually admired each other's work and were then brought together to actually do this collaboration. And it's a bit of a combination of um, some of the like shoegazy alternative rock with doomy elements from Emma mixed with like sludge, which ends up in a really interesting place, particularly with vocal trade-offs, and, like, almost channeling typo in a strange way. So, like, it's surprisingly, like, heavy doom riffs in places with um, Emma Ruth Rundle's, like, really sort of soulful, like, slightly bluesy, folky vocals over the top, which then either exchanges with or is matched by um, the snarled, like, sludgy, really quite nasty, gritty vocals. Um, There's parts where it's, like, quite chilled out and laid back, like in Killing Floor, which is the first track, which is the one that feels quite typo-y in some of its riffs. But then there's parts like Magical Cost, where there's, like, bits that feel like a sort of black metal blast beat. Um, And then, like, there's much more melodic sections. There's, like, chunkier doom riffs, which are driven forwards by these harsh vocals. And then you have this enormous, like, folky uh, performance from Emma, which adds onto the top. Um, For me, the whole thing is, like, capped off by The Valley, which is the final song on the album, which is... It's about seven minutes. It's a really sort of slow build at the beginning um, and then builds and builds and builds to this like sort of repeated vocal line of um, what is it Uh, you see them you feel them and as it builds this it starts off in this quite like stripped back like almost folk rocky shoegazy sort of way and then builds in this like heavy doom riff that like builds over the top of that and then alongside the clean vocal comes a harsh vocal and it yeah it matches this like beauty from the shoegazy side and this like disgustingness and heaviness from the sludge side really really well like that final track sits with me so well it's so sad and then so heavy afterwards it's a really really interesting combination of sounds this is yet another album this year i haven't spent enough time with like a lot of people i've seen this one very highly rated by people like for a lot of people this tapped into a sound they really wanted it's funny you uh, should say like emery frundle sort of known for her voice because i i know i know her primarily for her work with red sparrows as a guitarist like red sparrows oh, completely yeah. instrumental band so yeah, I remember actually getting quite into them in, like, 2010, and my friend Dave sort of pointed out, he's like, you know, she can actually sing really well as well, but is it... <laughs> and now in recent years, she's probably got way more famous for her solo work doing vocals, and her vocal performances on this album are, are absolutely incredible. And it seems as well like this um, collaboration between the two of them is ongoing. They have a, um EP coming out early next year, which they will release a single off called The Helm of Sorrow, which is... Yeah, is more more in this vein, and I, I think for both bands, it's it's tapping into something incredibly unique. This this sort of very beautiful cleans over this like intense sludgy doom sound they'll have going on. 
it, yeah, it's it's an amazing sort of collaborative work, and I could like almost being being better than the sum of its parts. Like despite those yeah. both those bands being pretty legendary in their own right. Yeah, and I really like um, Emma's vocal performance on this. Like is sort of central to it, but it's really varied. Like it has really sort of like low down and subtle moments like there's a line on the valley where she talks about like just another fucked up thing i can't save which is like it's like really bitter and like low and quiet and sad and then there's the huge bits like at the end of the valley where it's really big and powerful but then there's also bits that are like really sort of heartfelt and soulful um like at the beginning of monolith like she sounds completely different to other parts on the album and it's, it's it doesn't sound like it would work but her mixing with brian funk's like sludgy vocals there's something really nice about those two sounds at the same time which doesn't sound like it would work but it really does the the combination of the two is not something i would have i would have guessed at working so well but it, it really does seem to be like, like yeah a perfect collaboration as i say better than the their two separate parts do you see the other stuff the uh, that thou have put out this year? No, I haven't. I I don't. I I've heard of thou, but I've never really listened to a huge amount outside of this. This was my first main exposure. Well, so they they've actually put out a fair amount this year, but um, they put up two compilations. <laughs> this really made me laugh earlier. One is a compilation album of all the Nirvana covers they've ever done. And one is a compilation <laughs> of all the non-Nirvana covers, and it's shorter than the Nirvana one. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't, I don't know what the history to that is. I mean, because I, I know they didn't they put out. A, yeah, I think it was them who put out that really good um, Alice in Chains cover earlier this year as well. Like they, they seem, they seem like a band who can really do a really good job of taking a kind of more traditional sort of rock song and making it really gnarly and sludgy. Yeah, and and they seem like a super adaptable band to me. Like, from going back and just listening to snatches of, like, earlier stuff to get some context on this, the musicianship gives loads of space on this album. Like, from a band who can be quite intense, they really space things out and give moments for the vocals to take that leading role but then can build to this massive heaviness so they seem to be really really adaptable like to come to something like this which is so different from what seems to be most of their normal output but just seamlessly get on with it as if it's the music they normally play it's a fantastic combination of like bluesy folky shoegaze with doom and sludge in a way that's can be really sad and really uplifting and really soulful all within the same quite short record.
Okay, so at number six, um, we have one I don't think Rob's actually heard because I told him not to listen because it's too long to start researching like a week ahead of recording. I've spoken about this on the podcast before on our Avoid Hanger episode. This is the monumental um, split album between Spectral Law and Mare Cognitum, Wanderer's Astrology of the Nine. So Spectral Law is a Greek-based one-man black metal project that's been active since 2005. Got about four albums and a shit ton of amazing EPs out. Mare Cognitum, similarly, uh, not, like, not quite as long active, but um, formed in 2011. Put out four albums, Portland, Oregon-based one-man black metal project. They've previously collaborated on the album Soul, where I think essentially they went back and forth writing a song each to create a theme. This one apparently was like sort of a challenge put to them by the uh, the owner of Ivoid Hanger Records, where he's like, write a thing where you each do one of the one of the planets, one of the the. So it's like their take on the planet suite, sort of. It it's very loosely, <laughs> but ten tracks, uh, two based on Pluto, um, and going back and forth between them. I've heard some people go, this is technically a split, not an album, but fuck it, if it crosses an hour, it's a fucking album. <laughs> like, I am not. <laughs> uh, because the two bands are recorded separately, other than the Pluto collaborations at the end, these, this is the band recording a song and then another band recording a song, so it has this weird sort of compilation theme. It's not like, say, like when Sun and Boris get together to do a collaborative release. This is two bands each throwing their ideas at at it separately. Um, But the two bands trade off each other amazingly well. There is is distinct differences between Mare Cognitum and Spectral Law. Um, I've heard a lot of people say they massively prefer the Mare Cognitum tracks and kind of almost want them as a separate album. But giving it a lot more time, I actually think there's a lot to Spectral Law. They're just more subtle. Like... uh, Jacob from Mare Cognitum is a guitar wizard. He's one of these brilliantly guitarists, and he, his stuff is so so much more immediately sellable. I assume Jacob as well must be a black metal stage name. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> Elias, the, the guitarist of Spectral Law, is a more subtle musician. He, like Also very gifted. I'd say both these are like one-man projects where they're playing all the guitar and bass and i believe both like sort of programming the drums for it and then doing these kind of amazing vocals but his stuff is more kind of like post-rock influence there's there's um one of the spectral law tracks the first four minutes of it really remind me of porcupine trees heart attack and a lay-by which for a black metal song is, is is ridiculous where but then the earlier tracks both the the openness of both bands are incredibly intense they get particularly brutal then some of the later mayor cognitums Ven- uh, venus and jupiter those two tracks are these amazingly atmospheric songs primarily relying on his absolutely beautiful leads and these these build-ups that take like 10 plus minutes as i say this is a 10 track album that has over two hours of runtime. the only real negative about it is the first half of Pluto is like a drone song, like a kind of, and like just everyone I've spoken to gets to that track and go, I have been listening too long for a 10 minute drone song. Like I can't, like <laughs> I to bring me to the close, I need a hook. But the final, the final half of the collaboration track is really great. I think, yeah, Mayako Neaton probably do have the true standouts that Venus and Jupiter are, the, the midpoint of the album are, 
pretty spectacular but there is there is so much good stuff on this and these two yet again much like um astragal from uh Isogrillium, are some of the best guys around for having this singular vision of black metal um so many of their previous albums have been utterly incredible and i think with wanderers both are at the absolute top of their game and really really sort of pushing things forward in terms of that sort of one-man black metal including you know so many brilliant melodic hooks into that kind of old school kind of dark throne format of the very long form raw open-ended song right yeah they're still still finding ways to invent within that kind of sound and and doing some absolutely brilliant guitar work and vocals in there yeah i think these two are incredible and both quite actively not shitheads in black metal which is always good <laughs> i i love the album cover for this as well so it's um he does a lot of the um a lot of the kind of stuff for i avoid hangouts the it's the scream vocalist for panegyrist um so mm. he's yeah he's he's done a like basically he does about 30 percent of all the i avoid hangout covers and he has a very specific style but i love this guy's artwork these very clearly yeah. hand-painted pieces that are just very abstract and weird uh, yeah i love the sort of authenticity of it it, it feels old you like when you look at it um and like the swirls and forming into different shapes and the use of color is yeah it's well that, that symbol splitting off to nine paths to nine cups above the images of the nine planets it's very thematically yeah. accurate yeah uh, i yeah i really yeah really like these bands and i and what i quite like about them is they they manage to have that mystique and majesty you expect from black metal without any of the the kind of trappings outside the band like um like uh mayor cognitum being this kind of like i've seen him interviewed he's a guy who talks about like love of computer games and like he's just quite a normal guy but his releases are so incredible in terms of their aesthetic and in terms of the sound he gets like i don't need any of the nonsense kind of um faux kind of fake identity or like hiding all that stuff like seeing him as a normal person attached to this is kind of really cool like yeah you you don't have to be a weird asshole to make amazing black metal yeah yeah so i don't know i I really love this as well for like putting paid to that myth where people like oh well you wouldn't listen to black metal if you didn't didn't listen to all the nazi bands like ah, fuck it there's there's plenty that aren't
So at number five, we have an album I think both me and Rob were really big into. Rob, do you want to introduce this one? Yeah, so this is Cryptic Shift's Visitations from Enceladus, which is one of the moons of Saturn, which I've probably said wrong. So Cryptic Shift are a really interesting combination of sort of techie thrash with progressive death metal with a like cosmic science fiction theme so that probably brings loads of bands to mind like vector and voivod and atheist and cynic and all sort of bands like that and they do an amazing job of pulling all of this stuff together um so they're made up of um zander bradley on guitars and vocals um ryan shepperson on drums john riley on bass and joss farrington on guitars so this album opens up like so boldly it opens up with a 26 minute long atmosphere like huge moonbelt immolator which begins with these like atmospheric death metally sections which sort of fade in and fade out slowly and then like after the first two minutes or so jumps up into this like fast thrash riffing with these amazing virtuoso guitar solos and yeah it does an amazing job of having sections where it builds fantastic atmosphere and then having incredibly catchy fast and interesting like thrashy sections it's such an interesting album it has so much energy but so much atmosphere alongside it and i love how it combines thrash and death metal in a really interesting way yeah i i I think um those comparisons you made are really good the thing i imagine these guys really like later era death which is i mean hardly a stretch but There's so many things that are, like, obviously so creative in this album. Like, starting what is essentially a thrash album with one 25-minute-long song and then, like, three other yeah. short songs afterwards is such a brave move. The other thing that's really unique for this kind of band is they. I initially thought the album must have been recorded as a free piece because the bass is so loud and prominent, I couldn't believe there were two guitarists on it. Like the guitar work is fantastic, but they let the bass player shine so much, and he has this this wonderfully like jazzy approach where he'll often play quite complex things, slightly at odds with what's going on, adding these like very strange like melodic touches to loads of the riffs. They like, absolutely brilliant work. All the musicianship is like not so much that they're brilliant musicians i'm sure they are great players but it's it's just really creative the guitar work has that thing older voivod sort of had where you're like who the hell came up with this chord pattern who like why is that what the guitar's doing here like yeah i love that the bass is such a focus because you'd think like front loading it with this massive 25 minute epic that maybe the last three songs are going to be a bit like okay those are just the ideas you got left over but that's so far from the truth like songs like um Hypnogayan Ghoul Gaul, if I can say that correctly, has got amazing like bass melodies which lead parts of it, and then mixed with these beautiful but really short like lead guitar melodies. Like they exchange between them so nicely. There's so much to look at in the last three songs as well as in the first one. Like, yeah, as you say, there's so much diversity going on within the different creative elements they bring to it. And that, like, you know, once they finished a 25-minute epic, they're still not out of ideas, which is amazing. Well, actually, what's, what's quite interesting, the 25-minute epic does all these kind of, sort of, a lot more of the experimental parts. And the final three tracks is where they get super riffy and have some of the most, like, catchy moments. Like, 
that there's some absolutely brilliant like like some of the best riffing is later in the album but that that opener is where they get really weird and throw sort of throw all the strange ideas at the wall which i kind of like in a way as well as like like right if you're not in board with the weirdness you don't you don't get to have all the fun bits at the end like you've got to go through all the yeah. strange stuff <laughs> yeah like sort of they they use every technique that's available like you know there's there's slow dissonant sections there's like really fast technical bits there's atmospheric bits like there's like really nice melodic sections and they like throw all of that at you but meld it together and like i think for something that like ostensibly sort of fits into thrash having so much going on is just so exciting like that makes thrash interesting having loads of stuff coming in there like with these fast riffs and then it will like jump off to something else it has so much energy uh which is really really cool and then like later on with the last three tracks you get some not only like fantastic riffs but some astounding melodic guitar and bass as well which is really cool to see like they have these like more evil sounding thrashy riffs but then they've got some really uplifting melodic moments as well which is really really nice it has so much variety throughout the album and what I really like about the sound of this album is it sounds very out of time. Like I could, I could believe this came from the nineties. It doesn't, it doesn't have a, it doesn't sound like, say, like a, like a another British band. I compare them, like I'd say they have something in common with is something like Ranock, who we were talking about in the previous episode. But Ranock sounds like well and truly that is a twenty twenty album. You can tell from the guitar tone straight away. This doesn't have any of that. The sound. Like really feels like quite a ninety sound, but then the the technicality and weirdness of it, you're like, well, this has got to be later than that because <laughs> otherwise I would have already heard this album if it was thirty years old. <laughs> like, uh, and finding a way to be this revolutionary and thrash in twenty twenty, I I always appreciate because thrash is a genre I struggle with these days. Like, I love the sort of staples of the genre, but I found newer bands just have really struggled to connect with that for the most part yeah and i and i like that i mean this feels you know as a comparison to something like vector like this feels like it takes more from death metal um and other parts of extreme metal as well as thrash and like down to the vocals that feel more you know they're more like snarls and growls than they are like shouting or like super high screams or something like that and it it has that gnarlier death metal end particularly in the first track which i think really helps separate it as something distinct. This isn't just interesting thrash. This is interesting thrash and loads of other stuff. Like, it merges so many things that it sort of ceases to be any individual one of them. It is something as well I really like of... um the, the album is a continuous sci-fi concept, and this is reflected in the artwork. The The band got a piece commissioned for every song on the album. So they had four choices of album cover and happened happened to go for the one they went for. But like the booklet has four equally amazing pieces of art to go along with each track. And I, I really like that they've put that attention into it. I, they seem very... I, there was a great interview on Heavy Hole with the guys where... They seem very interested in the sort of the concept, the, like the lyrical concept side of what they're doing, which, which I, I thought was 
really good. I'm glad that that dimension of their sounds well explored as well. Yeah, and I I really like you know just the album artwork's fantastic. Like it's so vivid in its colours with these like icy blues and red standing out so starkly. Like and it's very clearly like a painting. It is a piece of artwork, and I really really like that. It feels so real and so organic. But also it's not just like black like most Mel stuff. You know it brings so many bright colours, and I really like that. Like that feels reflective of the amount of variation and creativity that's within the music. One one slight correction I just want to add to something you said earlier is actually the guitarist on this album is Joe Bradley, or the, he's the sort of second guitarist, Sander Bradley being the the vocalist and guitarist. And he quit the band straight after this, and Joss Fountain has joined since. Joss being from a uh, Bristol band. Separation. Yeah, Bristol band, Separation, yeah. who were kind of... <laughs> legendary in Bristol for a while of being the band you saw supporting every cool death metal tour that came to town (laughs) they were really good but yeah I think they're on like near permanent hiatus at this point if not broken up and I imagine now Joss is doing this like he probably won't return. <laughs> yeah, it's such an exciting album. Like, it's so cool to listen to. There's so much stuff coming towards you. It's, yeah, it's just really, really fun to listen yeah, to. Yeah, I, I, I think that's the thing more so than pretty much anything else we're covering. This one is an extremely fun album. And I think that's where, what sort of grounds it more in Frash is it has, it has those bits of Frash that make it immediately just kind of fun. Like, despite all the complexity, weirdness, dissonance, like... Still, at the end of the day, this is a cool listen, and you could probably, yeah, show this to your most kind of like diehard Frash fan, or your person who who purely loves like cynic and atheist. Like, there's both things there, including including vocoder vocals briefly in Moonbell yeah. Emulator. <laughs>
this brings us on to number four, which is... Um, so, my one and two this year are this and the Mayor Cognitum one. Um, so, the only thing for me that could beat that monumental Mayor Cognitum Spectral Law split album is this amazingly inventive Brutal Death Metal album. This is Afterbirth with Four Dimensional Flesh. Afterbirth, if you don't know the sort of history of, they were a band that had a legendary two demos back in the early 90s doing extremely guttural, brutal death metal very early on in that scene. Big Will of um, Artificial Brain is often um, credited Matt Duncan, their, their first vocalist, as being a massive influence in this style. They reformed, um, and things didn't quite work out with their original vocalist and kept touring as an instrumental band. Uh, sadly, during his time, Matt Duncan passed away. But, uh, like, while they were playing as an instrumental band, they supported or played with Artificial Brain and met Big Will, who had um, <laughs> previously stated them, them being a massive influence in his vocal style, joined up with him, and and lo and behold, we have the, the new Afterbirth lineup And... In that time away as musicians, like the drummer, bass player, and guitarist have massively grown. They put up this spectacular Time Driver's Dilemma back in, I think, 2016, 17, something like that. Maybe it's more recent. But anyway, their, their first album was really brilliant. And Four Dimensional Flesh just takes off where that one went, like where that one left us and goes even further. So, not to be put off if you don't like Brutal Death Metal, there is so much more to this than Brutal Death Metal. <laughs> like, yes, it is for fans of Artificial Brain, but it is not the same band. Uh, do you manage to give this one a listen ahead of time, Rob? Yeah, I, I love this one. Uh, this one's so interesting. It's it's the most emotional Brutal Death Metal album I think has ever been made. It's the most varied, like, Brutal Death Metal album I've ever listened to. It has moments that put me in mind, like, with the synths and stuff that they bring into it, it's got moments which are, like, really properly aggressive Brutal Death Metal. And then the next moment, like, bits which remind me of, like, the upbeat bits of something like Lake Aethia Aflame. I was gonna say, the, the most emotional uh, Death Metal album ever is Lake Aethia Aflame, but after that, uh... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it feels so like tonally similar in the way that it will move between like moments of absolute brutality and moments of like stuff that's really weirdly uplifting out of nowhere. It's got bits where like these sort of um black hole kaleidoscope there's moments that feels like to me felt like sort of wall of sound like Devin Townsend riffs from Ocean Machine with the way it mixed the synths and the guitars created this really interesting formula um yeah like, like with bass leads as well with I, I loved some of the drumming with like the blast beats on the ride of uh, sorry on the on the bell of the cymbal so intense but it matches that intensity with so many creative ideas like i was really blown away by how unexpected this album was particularly for a unique leader release like unique leader put up really solid death metal but I, I'm amazed to see something this kind of experimental on it. Rob's touched on it already. The the thing that really sold this, like excellent death metal notwithstanding, is the supremely creative bass and drum work, particularly David Case's bass playing. He does these amazing things where he will throw in odd harmonics or like strange sections of beautiful melody underneath a really heavy passage and he's such a competent player he can make the slightest noise like just 
burst through the mix as this like incredible melodic i i i think he is one of the greats of modern bass playing i i i can't believe the stuff he comes up with on this album there's so many moments where he will totally change the feel of a section of the song by throwing in some really unique bass stuff drummer keith harris is is spectacular as well uh, rob's mentioned like him doing interesting stuff like the bell of a symbol also he's one of the few drummers i can think of who in this kind of extreme metal regularly uses rototoms along with along with david yeah, gray yeah. of akakoka and it, it's a sound most drummers like oh no i don't want to do that but like his use of that because he adds in these like high pitch sections which sort of almost have a melodic sensibility to them so he like both him and the bass player will throw in elements of melody like inside the kind of the chaos of this like sci-fi death metal it feels so at odds with like a lot of movements within metal at the moment like it's not dark or oppressive at all it's expansive and open and brings in so much it has that sort of like new agey feel of like cynic or something like that it it feels like outward looking not like something that's gonna like drag you down into the dirt like a lot of you know like primitive man like there's so many movements today in metal of making stuff that's like heavier than you can possibly imagine and while this is heavy and aggressive it feels so open and and positive which is really really cool i think that that's an interesting comparison actually because I hope I'm getting the right band member here. I think it was Cody Drasser, the guitarist, said in an interview, he got massively into sort of meditation and stuff like that. So I think that might be where you start to see these these other influences come in, these, these kind of, as you say, this more positive feel to the album. The other thing I really want to mention is they... They are one of the best death metal bands for throwing in interlude tracks. The interludes are amazing on this. Uh, songs like... Uh, girl in the landscape or minimum safe distance where they they just go through these sections of incredible like atmosphere and melody in the space of a minute just to link the songs together it, it's really amazing stuff done in a really restrained way because there's so many bands like going back through the ages who do that wrong uh, and add in so much and like end up detracting from the experience but i love how it works here like it works as a beautiful preface to those different like parts of the album and different songs and then yeah it just fits really seamlessly so the thing that's going to put i've seen put most people off this album and you're also wrong if that's the case um is will smith's vocal performance because he is an incredibly guttural vocalist you know he is the classic like bullfrog like very low low like low and low amount of enunciation as well like hyper kind of intense vocals but what i'd love is i think he's like the fact his vocals aren't so clearly um like you can't tell their words they are this more interesting rhythmic thing i think fits so well with the sound of this band I, I couldn't imagine this with, like, a kind of more, like, Dave Vincent-style vocalist or something. I think it would ruin it. Yeah. What what would you do over the top of this? What would you say that could do anything other than detract? I think, like, because there is so much going on, it's so fast, it chops and changes, it moves around, it has so many twists and turns. Like, you, all, you just almost need to focus on that rhythmic side of things. And this vocal style is perfect for essentially adding in an additional rhythm and a different additional bit of instrumentation. And like, um, Will Smith's vocal performance is really varied as well. Like, he has loads of other stuff that he adds in, like higher shrieks and stuff like that. And like, 
alongside that, you can really hear like the weird noises from like the Demi Lich influence and stuff like that, which comes into it. And like, it's not just a traditional, like, super guttural vocal performance. Like, this is a sort of masterclass in how to do it right. The thing I've always said about um, Will's vocal performance, which is, I think, incredible, is if you watch any live videos of him performing, is he does that hyper low vocal, but he has so much presence and power in it. He can project that live with the mic, like, you know, a good couple of inches away from his face. He's not doing that cuffed <laughs> mic completely in the mouth to get that noise out. Like, his 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 skill is, is incredible. Also, he sounds different in all his bands. Like, his performances in Afterbirth are different to that of Artificial Brain, are different again to Buckshot Facelift. A couple of tracks in this album, he said he was probably trying to tribute Matt Duncan's vocal style, so had this quite different, more intense, like, punchy delivery to his usual, more, like, drawn-out, long noises. Yeah, I don't think I would have known this was him like if i'd heard this in artificial brain i do not think i would have recognized it as the same vocalist this this album has a lot of interesting sci-fi lyrics like a lot of kind of quite engaging titles and apparently the way this album was written lyrically is the band members the three core guys from afterbirth came up with all the titles (laughs) and will have to write something (laughs) for any given title which is an incredible challenge but what makes that even more intense is he's such like he is such a like master vocalist. He is a guy who the vocals are his one and only thing. He does not play an instrument. That's all his thing. But between his bands, apparently the lyrics are all set in the <laughs> same universe. Which is is incredible where he's saying like um I remember saying like some of Buckshot Face's stuff, which is more kind of contemporary a lot of the time, has dream sequency elements, and the dream sequency elements reference both artificial brain and afterbirth uh, but afterbirth and artificial brain both uh, futuristic that's amazing. but different points I love in time. that that's so cool <laughs> apparently there's loads of easter eggs to find if you're you're a fan of the 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 bands like where there's there's single line references to other bands in his songs like yeah he, he's a master of his craft and it, if it's something that didn't appeal to you on first go do spend time with this because this is this is not something easy. Like, I think I've seen some people easily write it off as like, ah, it's just slam. Actually, Heavy Hole Podcast shared this thing at the start of the year. I can't remember what site it was now. I almost want to name and shame them. Where they do a weekly what albums have come out. And they put Afterbirth in a list of, oh, it's probably <laughs> shit. I'm going to yeah. ignore it. This, there is so much more to this album than you might think Like on just hearing like where it's come from and what sort of genre it is. It's It's... Yeah, it's almost indefinable in terms of genre, in terms of the feeling you get from it and the number of influences that are going into it.
so that brings us to uh, to number three, which is an album I had no idea was coming. So I was very excited for when it when I finally saw saw. As you'll know from our um, best of the decade, um, we both me and Rob were really big into Morbus Crohn's Sweven. After the the collapse of that band, uh, Robert Anderson, the guitarist and vocalist formed a new project called Sweven and put out their debut, The Eternal Resonance, on Van Records earlier this year. I, I really, really liked this. It really picks up where Morbus Chrome with Sweven left off. It's It's got these beautiful, heartfelt melodies, like an incredible sense of pathos to it. None of the instrumentation feels that heavy, but the vocals are really heavy. They feel so genuinely tragic and harsh and emotive uh yeah it's so melodic and interesting and not like any other death metal um the bass plays a really important role which i feel like we're talking about on all of our top 10 albums at this point um yeah it's such a unique combination and continues i don't think really lovely from morbus cron uh, yeah, it includes pianos and acoustic guitars and so much like progressive and jazz-like feel in various elements of it. It's so broad and sweeping and interesting. If you've missed the episodes where we talked about them before or I haven't come across the band before, what's really interesting about uh, Sweven and Morbus Cronin was essentially they were the world's weirdest take on Swedish death metal. They're such a un- like they- Morbus Cronin was such a unique band of taking that core of essentially what bands like Entombed were doing, but then mixing it with loads of odd introspective acoustic guitar type melodies, long drawn out sections just to create atmosphere, using those very high like Swedish vocal, like that standard Swedish death metal vocal to create, as Rob was saying, these like like intensely emotional things. Like they've all, Robert Anderson has a very good scream voice, but he communicates so much emotion with it and in this album so he picked up a new lead guitarist and drummer when he reformed the project so it's basically just him coming from Morbus Crone I think um, Isaac Rosemarin um, had played live with them briefly the guy who came in on lead guitar but the drummer he hadn't worked with before despite this new lineup it sounds like an it, it sounds like the next Morbus Crone album and um I think yeah something you touched on with the vocals there's such a standout on this because he had like it has that Swedish thing it has that it has that slight nasty edge that's something you might hear in like Asphyx or uh, John Tardy from Obituary but it carries so much emotion to it in a way that I think a lot of death metal vocals never do like he feels so genuinely pained when he gets a lot of this stuff out and it it doesn't necessarily make it heavy but it adds to all of these interlocking melodies and beautiful like elements both on the guitar and the bass because robert anderson does all of you know the writing and the playing for well for the sort of rhythm guitars and bass as well and there's so much going on between those different instruments um like this could be an instrumental album and i'd probably love it just as much um like particularly the first song the spark is an entirely instrumental piece and just like on Morbus Crone on their album like it takes a long time for the vocals to come in they're really sparse like they're not used very often but when they are used it adds so much to the album it's so intelligently written in that way of making perfect use of what it has on on sort of demand I can see this being a weird album 
for anyone who's sort of into death metal and comes along to this, it doesn't feel like any death metal anymore, really. But it's got a lot of that DNA in it and somehow manages to turn that into something which has a completely different emotional response. Yeah, there, there is something of like, there is death metal somewhere in this. But realistically, if you would show someone any given part of it, it's not that anymore. Like the huge use of like clean tone guitars, like like having like, um, what track is it? Uh the sole importance where it ends with that huge yeah. like piano section like uh, like there's so many odd things like that where you're like this just this is transcended into being something completely different but it's certainly not melodic death metal i'd say it's even more removed from something like that than it mm. is it is sort of swedish death metal but um or i'm thinking you know stockholm versus gothenburg here it is it is clearly more influenced by the stockholm scene i mean with uh Robert Anderson, I believe, is like a nephew of Nicky Anderson, like briefly fronted Entombed, uh, in like since the Entombed Entombed AD split, which his vocals totally work. You can see them being LG Petrov and to a lesser extent Nicky Anderson on clandestine influenced. But going somewhere further with that, I was so amazed by what they did with their sound with Morbus Crone, and I, and I got that Morbus Crone was a a project you did need to spend time on. So if you've come across Sweven and you've not heard this band before, give it four or five listens before you, you write it off. It's not going to be something that's your favourite on first listen. Yeah, and you mentioned actually Soul Importance, which is one of my favourite tracks from this, because it has has a really nice element of it brings in the piano keys to reinforce the like guitar chords that are being played, and the blending together seems perfectly natural. Like they the sounds mesh so so effectively. Um and the few guitar solos that it has, like they're really restrained. They're not long, they're really short, sort of melodic. There's one on um Soul Importance, but they're they're like fantastic. They're really, really emotive and emotional. Um, you know, have that sort of great classic rock guitar solo thing where it's so, so expressive, um, which feels so odd coming from something which originates from death metal. Um, but yeah, it's such a heartfelt album, but at times can sound kind of unsettling as well. And maybe that's where that sort of death metal bit comes in. It balances those emotions really well, which means that it never really gets lost because it's always pulling you between different things. It's never just settling into, oh, okay, yeah, it's this sort of very emotional thing. It moves around and changes. All the songs have motions and um, things that they go through that changes how you're approaching everything. So while it might sound particularly if this isn't something you've come across before kind of say me on first listen if you give it long enough like it will reveal lots of depth to you throughout all the songs yeah i think it's a really good way of putting it um so the big question with this is do you prefer the eternal resonance or sweven i have no idea <laughs> it's really hard for me to say um I'd need so I'd need more time to really like listen to them side by side. They feel like su- this feels like such a natural continuation that it's it's hard for me to say. That's the reason I bring it up though, because it does just feel like the band continued on. It, it, it you can barely perceive that that kind of four year gap and complete lineup change for me. So the reason I didn't have this higher on my list is purely because, and I think I'm in the minority in this. I still think the Sweven album was was the stronger stronger album. I felt it had a few more ideas to it than this. Um, 
but they, they, this continues on all the stuff I liked about that. They're, and they, they, they do throw in a few new, unique things. I love the conclusion to the album being that amazing choir passage. Like, that's that's really cool. They they took up where the last album left off with this truly, like, unique artwork. And, and, and artwork for every song again, which I, I love when bands put that kind of effort in. Like, this is one I bought the vinyl of just to have that booklet and... Yeah, there's an incredible, and the front cover is absolutely amazing. That kind of like very strange um, sort of landscape of like weird angles. Like, yeah, really, really cool. Uh, yeah, I totally, I really love this album, but I don't know that it quite tops that previous one. But then again, like, as I say, that previous one was like, what, my number six of the, or maybe even higher of the entire entire last decade so that's not an insult to say it's not better and i'm so excited that they've come back together and put out something which just seems like a straight continuation it'll be so interesting to see if these guys keep going and keep innovating on something that's already so different to everything else that's being released at the moment
well, we're getting into the final two here. So, number two, and this is one you could probably guess coming from me and Rob, considering we haven't mentioned it already. Uh, this is Imperial Triumphant with their fourth album, Alphaville, released on Century Media Records. Um, so, if somehow you haven't heard about Imperial Triumphant at this point, give you a quick summary. Free piece of amazing jazz-trained musicians playing weird and wonderful black metal They've evolved over the years from initially quite a quite a kind of traditional black metal worship sound into something more approximating Prion playing uh, or Piron sorry playing uh, playing black metal and with this latest album they've once again I think quite drastically changed up the sound from Vile Luxury uh, to do something very different. Uh, yeah, so Rob, this was this is your number two of the year. Yeah, I this to me feels so confident and tightly honed down. Um, I actually I was I was reading what other people thought of this because it's been talked about quite a lot, and I found a review on Metal Archives that gave it zero. Um, and everything I read about it in this review made me want to listen to it again. Um, the Playing on this album is something else. The guitar riffs are bizarre. The way that um, Zachary Ezrin plays guitar is like no one else in metal. Like He's playing these weird jazzy chords in metal riffs and then like doing these bizarre sort of ascending and descending down the guitar at speeds that like seem completely wrong using all sorts of techniques like whammy bars. I saw an interview of him where he was talking about he really wants their sound to reflect living in New York, which I think they do amazingly. And one of the things that he was really interested in was the Doppler effect, where when something gets further away from you, its frequency changes. So like a siren going past changes its sound slightly as it moves away. And so he thought, why can't I just play that on the guitar? So he takes inspiration from all these bizarre things. And if you take any of the riffs like from this album out of context, like it doesn't sound like music. It doesn't sound like a guitar. It doesn't sound like anything. But when you compare that with some phenomenal bass playing from Steve Blanco and incredible jazzy drumming um, from Kenny Gorhowski, you get this immense mix, which they, I feel on this album, they've managed to pull together into something incredibly cohesive and well put together which establishes this theme um it's i believe it's named after the science fiction film alphaville and it gets this sort of like old-timey vibe to it it's got like this barbershop quartet section um and these like um culminating sort of old-timey like 1950s fallout style um like America type stuff and then we'll just go into absolute fucking chaos like a nuclear bomb's been dropped on the whole thing and I love how it does that it pulls it together so so tightly it's so odd like it throws everything at you and somehow for me it manages to make it stick so there's, there's a load of stuff I want to jump off of there that you said um what was really interesting with the the aesthetic of this the previous album vile luxury the intro was actually taken from the film metropolis and had a lot of themes relating to that particular that that, that album album that film even their masks are like kind of a reference to that i've not seen alphaville and now i want to watch it because this album does go in a more a different direction with that kind of tone and i wonder if that's more fitting with the the sort of movie they have is that, I guess, guess, like, core reference the whole audience is going to spot. So, so going back to something you were saying earlier, 
the interesting thing about this album is seeing all the there's been a lot of negative press for it and it reminds me very much of do you remember a couple of years ago when bell witch put out mirror reaper mirror reaper had one of the best album covers like going in metal but i don't think that's up for debate in any way and a very interesting thing of being one 18 minute long song performed by just two people but what that meant was the genre of very progressive funeral doom was dropped on people who have never stepped outside of like their their core of like fairly melodic like relatively standard metal and i, I don't mean as an insult to those people but those are people who never messed around with the, the more experimental ends of doom they you know they, they've never heard of oak and they've never heard esoteric and we're diving into mirror reaper and you get all these reviews being like oh this doesn't make any sense it's so long and drawn out and you're like that's the fucking genre. Um, like, <laughs> like, and it just sort of, yeah, it was suddenly covered by people who who had never seen stuff like this before. Imperial Triumphant announced Century Media. They're, they're, they're huge. Like, they are known by kind of everyone. Not necessarily loved by it, but everyone has an opinion on them now. And it's funny because they feel like a band that should be in the same vein as stuff like Artificial Brain, which is fairly unknown, but beloved by that core that get it. But because... Their aesthetic is so creative as well, and their live show is such a, a thing to comment on. Way more people are aware of them than I don't mean I don't want to say should be, but than you would expect for a band doing what they do. But it results into this thing where Zachary has done a couple of video guitar lessons. Which, if you like Imperial Triumph, go to the comments section because you will see all these comments that I thought no longer existed in 2020. Of this isn't music. This is like <laughs> because what's really interesting seeing Imperial Triumph play live is the guitar work is way more sparse than I thought it would be, and way like the the use of the whammy bar is way more included. And I think this is why they only have one guitarist, why that fits the sound so well because. All his stuff is kind of dis- like kind of detuned by having a whammy bar applied to it. So he'll do that really fast picking black metal while depressing the whammy bar. So he'll be doing this really odd technique of picking one chord really quickly, but changing it subtly through through different <laughs> tones by 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 depressing the whammy bar. And and people will comment on these videos being like, what the fuck is this and i think a lot of people have listened to alphaville and it's getting all this negative press and people are like oh everyone says it's amazing but it's crap it's like okay well what's your favorite like like sort of jazz influence band it's like oh no i hate jazz well the fuck are you listening to this then <laughs> I, I mean negative reviews are fine but i i feel like both this band and Bellwitch have ended up the poster child for people to hate because because it's doing something kind of weird and interesting thus its fans have got overexcited and shown it to their friends who were like oh no i, I don't i don't actually listen to black metal but imperial triumph and suck you're like well, <sighs> yeah it's it's one of those things which i think often comes across as quite like ironic where like this is how most people think about metal in general they think that it's just noise that there's no musicality to it that it's even if there is musicality that people are wasting their talents and yet some metalheads see it uh, and obviously it's because they're not familiar with these particular like subgenres and these weird parts of it but they apply the same thing of like oh i don't get this therefore it must be rubbish of like yeah well like this is really extreme this is pushing the boundaries of like what metal is and 
Yeah, I, I think you're very right in that it's one of those things that because it has like this big platform that another similar band who do something similarly weird might not have, it's got a huge lot of negative press. But yeah, in a way, I kind of feel like that's good. We should be pushing people and we should be showing them like, here's something that's incredibly weird. Um, just to move on to something else I think is incredible about it. Like the drums are absolutely phenomenal. Like there's so much going on here. Like there's just there's so much like naturalness to it so many jazzy techniques like i remember when we saw them relatively recently um kenny did uh, an entire fill just on the rims of the drums and i thought i have never seen that at a metal show before and the album gives so much space to add these little bits into um you know from really fast like double kicks and blasts through to much much jazzier more interesting techniques really like weird fills moving between cymbals and a really interesting way yeah there's there's every little performance on this you can unpick it and it will be fascinating so to sort of somewhat fly in the face of everything i was saying before i think alphaville is um imperial triumphant's most accessible album i i think it's far more kind of um melodic than some of their previous stuff like vile luxury is a tough listen like it I, I think it's probably their best, um, actually. I, I, I think it might have the edge on um, Alphaville for me now. I've spent more time with it. But I, what I really like with Alphaville is they changed up the sound quite drastically from that to include lots more melodic passages, lots more... But there's um, there's a lot of backing choirs on this. Like They had that on um, Vile Luxury and with the horns and stuff, but almost on Vile Luxury it added to the dissonance. In this, it adds to the the kind of moments where they go a bit more melodic, where they they include something a bit more um, graspable. I really like how the bass features on this album as well. Like from the first track, Rotted Futures, the bass plays such a massive leading role. Like um, particularly, it's really simple what it does towards the beginning of Rotted Futures, but it it creates so much tension just through the two notes that it keeps repeating. And then like watching uh, Steve Blanco play bass, like he does all sorts of like slapping and other weird things that like as not a bass player, I have no idea idea what is going on so steve blanco is the guy i i think more so than kenny or zachary is the the guy who really seems to be the jazz person on this band he is the one who will regularly break all the kind of music rules and do something very strange he plays around a lot with doing like really slow paced slides through like every note and just being like right we we're going on this 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 odd run here as you're saying and throwing in a lot of weird techniques uh, there's a famous video came up last year of him doing this slide using using like a like a, a like a kind of wine bottle as, as like a slide on his base like he, he does weird and wonderful stuff and i i really enjoy his like additions there um i not, not to detract from the like everyone's performance on this is really creative but he's the one where i think he is like breaking more rules than anyone else <laughs> Yeah, and it's the the music on the album itself as well, like as a whole package is so interesting. Like they can as a band, they can manage this incredible descent into chaos on songs like The Greater Good, where towards like it just begins to descend into everything happening at once. They can somehow manage that in a way that makes it just like somehow listenable like there is a sense to all of this like unraveling that is happening with all this bizarre like structures and stuff and i love the way they've brought in like lots of additional things to this like the barbershop quartet stuff which was written by zachary and like the um 
like the percussion section they have where they brought in Thomas Huck from um, Meshuggah to record some of the drums with them, where they just found a dojo in New York where they were recording on some Japanese drums, which are basically like they're made from wine barrels and they just recorded like this percussion section, which fits in Uh, to me. Yeah. To me, I think the thing that makes this album so interesting is it has so much diversity, but it's so well honed it. Like it's so tight as an album, which I really like. Yeah. So, um, the the thing as well is like for all the talking of like the weirdness in this, I do think this is quite a catchy album. I think it has a serious melodic sensibility, which I wouldn't have said about the pretty much any of their previous ones, bar maybe the debut, uh, which is basically a completely different band at this point. the The one actual criticism I've heard about this album, which I, I kind of accept this one, I, I don't I don't think is entirely wrong, is that the vocals aren't incredible. Like with with Imperial Triumphant, they like Zachary and Steve's vocals are fine. They're they're pretty solid, but then they're not going to be something like Will from Afterbirth. They haven't got that that level of complexity to them. But what I think they do really well to offset that is the guest vocals. So she's been on the last few albums. Yosiko Ahara adds some amazing like higher pitched screams. Like she's from a band called Bloody Panda, who I really want to check out because they sound like her vocals on this are just so ridiculously intense those like real high screams and amazing andromeda from a uh, falcon camera uh, adds some great additional vocals and whereas on the previous album we had will from um from afterbirth and artificial brain adding some lows on this we have the vocalist of wormed adding some hyper lows and i always enjoy those inclusions so I, I like that they're aware their vocals aren't their key selling points so always find a way to augment them on the albums yeah, I think I agree with that. The what I I do think that Zachary's vocals work really well in the right place. Um, there's something sort of understated about them, which to me feels like a. It's almost like a weird, like fucked up, distorted voiceover, which is telling you why everything is broken and dead. Uh, and I really like how that fits in some of the parts of it. But I agree that like without those guest vocals, that would be lacking a little bit, and they like just propel the album to new heights when those bits come in. I should also mention the the cover is really good. Like obviously, Imperial Triumph from a band that somewhat lives and dies on its aesthetic the the aesthetic they came up with is has, has propelled them to so much success and their amazing like sort of merch is really sort of you know keeping them afloat in difficult times i mean i remember i can't remember you sent me this or not the the video there's a video of them playing about 10 years ago with no masks on and you're like oh this is a very different experience just seeing them as normal looking guys but yeah the artwork for alphaville is this amazing like kind of spread over both sides of the vinyl piece uh done by um incredible young artists the same guy who did um the cover for lawless darkness the satanist pleiades dust uh oh my god what how on earth do you say his name it's a big new belak i have no idea but but anyway that you probably own those albums. You can look him up. Like, but yeah, he he's definitely one of the better like working artists at the moment. Like, I say that Lawless Darkness cover is fucking fantastic. And the cover he's got done for this, it really fits so well with the band's aesthetic. Yeah, and the the like weird reflection through the middle of the like building in the album cover is really cool. Like, it's really weird, but yeah, 
It's it's fantastic, and it, as you say, it fits so well with the aesthetic that is like such a big part of Imperial Triumphant that they do so perfect. Right. Anyway, we better move on because we've probably spent way too long on this one. <laughs> Again, you might be able to guess our number one of the year because it's been like weirdly absent from the conversation. Unsurprisingly, it is just a band like who've been going for ages who just absolutely nailed it on this their sixth album. This is Ulcerate with Stare Into Death and Be Still, released on Debimur Morty Productions. Uh, so these guys have been going for quite a while, formed in 2002, uh, New Zealand-based band. This is their sixth album now. They, they've had a super consistent lineup. The main three guys, I think, have been on all six of their studio albums. And everyone since, like, after the first one has just been these three hyper-talented musicians uh, led by drummer extraordinaire Jamie St. Marat, who is... One of the most exciting drummers I've ever seen live. Like, no, Sonic, no, he is the most exciting drummer I've seen live. Like, he is so, so incredibly technical and complex. This, I think, is the most 2020 album that you've ever had. Just stare into death and be still. Um, And the first riff off of the lifeless advance. Like, it's 
it's inevitable. It's staring into an inevitable death that is just coming towards you, and there's a touch of sadness, but no hope of escape. And this, to me, at this album, is Ulcerate at their most accessible and most melodic that they've ever been. This is still a chaotic album, um, and is not something that you will find easy to digest. But for Ulcerate, it is the most accessible thing they've ever produced. There is so much like softly depressing and melancholic melodies particularly in the guitar work which i feel is so standout on this album similar to something like enslaved you have these like long riffs slash passages that sort of evolve over time and grow with the song as it moves and changes and it's hard to say exactly when the guitar shifted to doing something else but it gradually evolved and it carries so much of the emotional weight of the album um and particularly if you look back to like shrines of paralysis ulcerate are like chaotic and dissonant and really like difficult to grab hold of that still exists on this album but it is refined and it is deployed in a different way it's more targeted and it adds like fury to the sense of hopelessness and adds chaos into this sort of forlorn atmosphere that's created rather than being the focus of the music itself yeah i'd say this album is so much more atmospheric um and almost melodic than anything they've um they've put out before i think you make a really good point of actually michael hogard's like guitaring is so much more key to this album whereas you look at their older stuff something like destroyers of all the star of the show without question is Jamie's drumming. Like that is the big, there's like cool chords going on, but it's cool ringing out chords with amazing like drum work in between them. This like, this ludicrous, like never doing the same beat twice, like absolute madness. This album, that is so much more restrained. Like he is far calmer and, and leaning towards this far more like atmospheric sound and it's all chasing that just like hopelessness rather than like the terrifying chaos of their earlier work yeah and and that's the drums are still absolutely incredible like the double bass on this is used to absolute perfection like again starting off from the first riff and lifeless advance there's just it's it's nothing hugely flashy but it's just like the way that he uses the double kicks to give that groove like that more life is amazing and as like the riffing and the guitar work isn't like you know your catchy groovy riffs where you can fit an easy drum pattern to it the drums have to do so much work in like giving the groove and the structure to everything that's going on his um cymbal work in particular is exceptional like his ability to switch between hi-hats to different parts of cymbals to include splashes to include chinas to like move between them so effortlessly um and yeah his speed and precision is incredible he'll still do the stuff that he did much more on early albums where he can like change between different kinds of blast beats so quickly and into like double kicks but he'll match that up now with more restrained drum work as well and it it's just a powerhouse of a performance not to take away from the other musicians like having seen them live like uh michael hoggard's um guitar work is is amazingly more complex than you'd expect you like seeing him perform he the chord shapes and stuff he uses is so kind of alien and unique and that's i think that's what gives um also a lot of their sound is this use of very odd chords to make this kind of quite intense um 
apocalyptic sound. We, again, another free piece um, with Paul uh, Kellen doing like relatively restrained bass playing in the background. He's, he's you know, he's primarily there as this this excellent, like intense vocalist. Like again, I really like the vocal approach he goes for for Ulcerative. It's not the most brutal. It's got a bit of emotion in there. Like it's. It's not just like gutturals. It is, there is more variation. Yeah, and and I really like how like they sort of soak the vocals a little bit in reverb, which gives them this like sort of ringing out over this like discordant like hopelessness that the rest of it creates, which like gives it this real after effect whenever the vocals come in. And like in certain songs, they are really sparse, so they're not coming across very often. But when they happen, like not only does he have like his vocals like down like so sort of perfectly to that sound but they linger afterwards giving this sort of after effect of what's just happened which is a really cool little touch it's a spectacular album and i, and I love the ulcerate found a way kind of this many albums in to quite revolutionize their sound this is this is a very different album to shrines of paralysis and it shows like the band has a lot more to offer than just doing the one thing they do so incredibly well. What I love as well is the the split of workload in this band as well. Like um, bass player Paul Kellen does all the all the lyric writing, and the the lyrics work so well for this. As you, you said, like the the title of the album is incredible. Like the guys the guys' lyrics are really important to this band. The songwriting is split between the drummer and guitarist, but. James St. Marat may have done a more restrained drum performance this album, but he also engineered, mixed, mastered it, and did the album cover. Oh my god, really? Yes. That's incredible. Yeah, and the album cover is this amazing kind of, like, twisted picture of this, like, sort of dying body being, like, distorted, like it's, like, kind of ink on a palette, like a kind of, like, watercolour painting falling apart. It's, it's a really good album cover, but yeah... Yeah, he he's he is like kind of like one man mastermind of of the kind of the core of their sound. That's the the thing he's so tuned into. Yeah, as as you were saying about the lyrics, like this album is it is sort of a rumination on death and how we relate to death and what death is. You know, there's there's so many like little bleak sections of lyrics you can pull out, like salvage nothing from the ruins. Or the darkness ahead mirrors a past of ruin. Like it it's bleak. Like reading through this album, but all of the different songs like address different ideas about how we think about death. And the that fits in so well into the musical landscape of the album. Like just reading the lyrics, it fits so perfectly the tone that they've captured. Like as a musical vision, it all holds together so well and becomes so profound upon exploring it further and, and actually they were a band that previously i would have criticized some of their lyric writing especially for some of their early works of not being quite up to the standards of the rest of the music but i think in recent years they've really stepped up their game in that as well like it, it, it they the band were in a difficult position as well because shrines of paralysis was such a well-loved like absolutely amazing album they had to do something very interesting to follow that up and by taking this slight direction change, I think they they really put out a follow up that was worthy on its own merits as being you know quite a different album. The one the one criticism I've seen levelled at this quite a lot, which I can't fully dismiss, is essentially with this album they found a sound and it's fifty minutes of that sound. And while I don't disagree with that criticism, I don't know that it's a 
problem. Yeah, I've seen that quite a lot. And, and I think to some extent that's right. Like I've seen some people say that, you know, you could put what any individual song on this album and you'd be like, well, how would you know which one it is if you start halfway through? And it'd be like, yes. But at the same time, for me as a whole, like the way that this album is addressing the very like idea of how we connect with death and what death is it all carries that and it all looks at it in a slightly different way and it all has this like overarching hopelessness to it which you almost sort of like it's almost trance like getting properly into this album like it it all explores the same thing from a slightly different direction and i can see if that doesn't quite work but for me like it it works so so well it carries a topic which is so hard to explore in a mature way and manages to do it through these incredibly evocative and atmospheric soundscapes and i feel like any massive deviation in that sound would have inevitably led to that not really working i i think that's a really good way of putting it uh, yeah i i as much as this wasn't this wasn't one of my absolute favorites from the year i i still like hold this in very high regard so take a quick look through our top 10 list we have definitely lent into the this album is a really atmospheric thing you're just gonna have to get into I, at least five of these easy like <laughs> imperial triumphant mayor cognitum spectral law emeruf rundle karma cipher all the that kind of thing we like you're going to get into an atmosphere with this. You might not necessarily have a load of risks you come away with. At the very least, we've got Cryptic Shift. If if none of that's doing it for you. Well, and Afterbirth. Afterbirth yeah. is the riff one for me. I think yeah, yeah. That, those are like the catchy two. If you're not here for something that's like big and overwhelming and a meditation upon death, then try one of those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got anything else to add with uh, Ulcerate? I don't think so. I think that's about everything. Yeah, just a phenomenal piece of like them at their most melodic and accessible, but also sort of conceptually and musically most mature they've ever been. Right. Well, I think that's that's it for mine and Rob's uh, top ten of the year. Uh, for for us, this has been like a four and a half hour recording with the uh, <laughs> with the previous episode. I, I hope it hasn't been too much of a slog to go through. We wanted to do justice to all these albums we've enjoyed this year, but there's a hell of a lot to talk about. So yeah, thanks a lot for joining me, Rob. If you want to get in touch, let us know what like your favorite albums of the year were. You hit me up on Twitter at, at Breakfast Metal or Facebook Phil's Breakfast Metal or philsbreathsmetal at gmail.com if you want to get in touch by email. Do let us know. Like, let us know if any of these featured on your tops of the year because I've seen so many great lists like that don't have any of these on it. There's been so yeah. much good <laughs> stuff that, yeah, you could have a completely different top 10 and still be missing a load of classics. But I think as as most years, like just end it out on like, yeah, there's been so much good stuff. There's so much innovation going on across all parts of metal. And there's definitely bits of metal that, you know, like either one of us or both of us don't know that much about. So if there's amazing stuff going on in areas that we don't cover or don't know as much about, like let us know because, yeah, there's there's just so much great stuff. Like metal is so alive. There's so many things happening. It's, yeah, it's amazing. And brilliantly, it hasn't seemingly been slowed down by the sort of removal of the live element this year. It's it's amazing to see so many bands like adapting and changing to that. But yeah, anyway, uh, thanks a lot for joining us for a bit of a mammoth one. Uh, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs>